but I think it's also overlooked. It's overlooked in our life, what our life is made up to be, who and what we are, where we go, the time we have on this earth, not only the time, but the opportunities we have. You know, I made a comment yesterday during Faith Rx. I I'd mentioned that uh, this life that we've been given has been gifted to us, okay? I know we say given. We use that oftentimes, that our life is, is given to us. But a gift is given to you, isn't it? You have to open it up. You've got to take it out. You've got to take it out of the packages. You've got to put it on, play with it, whatever it may be. But a gift is a gift. It's something that someone gives you. And that's what life is. Life has been gifted to you and I. But the reality of our life, guys, in this world today, that we're just passing through this world. We're just passing through. I can remember in 2007, Denise and I took our first trip to the United Kingdom. We, uh, we flew actually into uh, Dublin. We were going uh, just outside of Belfast in a place called Glengormley. Uh, Ron and I, a dear friend of mine from the States, we were preaching a gospel meeting uh, for a missionary we not only supported over there, um, but was a friend of ours, okay? And uh, so we were going to preach this meeting, and uh, Denise and I actually came over to uh, Cardiff uh, for three nights or two nights. I had a, another guy that we supported over here at the time, and um, he had just taken a church, and he, had, he found out when I was coming to the United Kingdom. He said, would you please come over and uh, preach on church planning and missions? I said, absolutely. And this is 2007, okay? And so when we got here, when we stopped and we, we were looking and, and thinking about this, this whole thought, about where we are today. When we landed, now keep in mind, I had just sold my practice uh, to a particular uh, company, a, a, an international group that bought it, a, a syndicate. And um, I, bought, I, I did that to decrease my workload, okay? Um, and all of a sudden, uh, I'm checking my corporate email the first day we're back. I'm in my, my buddy's little office in his bedroom on, the com on his computer. And uh, I get a notification that a practitioner in our area, which was another clinic that was owned by this company, um, had passed away. And I knew this guy. He had been in uh, the Veterans Administration clinics with us and in different places uh, where a group of us would come and, and, and try to help people. And um, so I shot an email back to my VP, and I said, hey, man, so sorry to hear that. If there's any way I can help, let me know. Now, mind you, I had already had three offices of my own at the time that I sold to the group and was overseeing. Denise was in the other room. She literally was from here to, say, that yellow line from me, but there was a wall in between one another. And within seconds, I got an email back that said, would you like to add this office to your bonus group? I was supposed to slow down, right? And I looked over at the wall as if I could see through the wall and get Denise's approval. And, I, and without doing that, I just went ahead and emailed said, sure, we'll do that. And uh, consequently, guys, the Lord... Uh, richly and wonderfully blessed that office. It was amazing what had happened. But I said all that to say this. When we got back to the States and we were back in one of those Veterans Administration amputee clinics and we're all working together, these are all local competitors and colleagues one of another, and we're, it, we're interviewing and, and we're evaluating different veterans that would come through for new prosthesis and so on and so on. We did everything as normal. <clears throat> Everything is normal. We were over here for two weeks in the front end of November. Dan had passed away on the 29th of October, I think literally the day that we actually flew out. So we were here the last week of October and the first week of November. I'm making a long story that shouldn't be that long, but it hit me as we were sitting there in clinic evaluating patients that life has just moved on. We're doing everything that we were, were doing the last month, the month before that, the month before that, the month before that. When Dan was there, we're doing the same thing now. 
And I thought to myself, if I passed away today, if my life came to end right here tomorrow, this world's going to continue on without me, isn't it? That company's going to, they'll replace me overnight, all right? And everywhere else, for that matter, will replace me over, over, overnight. Our life, as great of a gift that it is, and as precious as it is, we're just passing through this world. We're just passing through the time that we have. We ought to cherish every moment, every minute, every second. We should look at it in a way that it is a gift from God from heaven. But at the same way, somehow, if we can stretch our cognitive abilities, understand that we are just passing through. Look in James chapter 4 with me, and we're looking at verses 13 through 15. And watch what he says here. He says here, he says, and, and go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. But ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live, and do this. Or that. I say this, guys, that our life is but a grain of sand in the hourglass of mankind. If our lives, if, if one of us lived to be 80, 90, 100 years, and, and we've lived a full, long life through the eyes of man, it's just a vapor in the view of eternity, here and gone. I mean, even though our life is short and we are busy, let me say this, sometimes we're too busy. I found this little poem about being, about being too busy. It says, too busy to read the Bible, too busy to wait and pray. Too busy to speak out kindly to someone who passes by the way. Too busy working and worrying to think of life to come. Too busy building earthly mansions to plan for heaven above. Too busy to help a brother who faces trials and suffering woes. Too busy to share his burden. No time I busy, you know. Too busy for all that is holy on earth beneath the sky. Too busy to serve the master, but not too busy to die. See, through the eyes of God, guys, our life is not even a, not even a blink, all right? As a matter of fact, uh, the catching away of the bride of Christ, which is known as the rapture of the church, it's a supernatural event. It's orchestrated in the mind of God. It is taught throughout Scripture uh, without fail. It's taught very clearly. And, and it's going to occur, as the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's going to occur what the Bible refers to as a, the twinkling of an eye. Now, many have interpreted that erroneously, saying, thinking that is a, a blink of an eye. It's not the blink of an eye. It's the twinkling of an eye. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, it takes between 300 and 400 milliseconds to complete a single blink. Now, that's pretty quick. That's pretty fast now, which is roughly between three-tenths or four-tenths of a second. And, and we blink two to three times per second, believe it or not. And the purpose of blinking is to keep the eye healthy. We understand that. The average person will blink 10 to 30 times per minute. With 20 blinks per minute, equaling 1,200 blinks per hour. And if you have a 14-hour waking time throughout the day, that's 14,800 blinks per waking hours. Now you know that. You can rest this evening knowing that you how many times you blink in 14 hours throughout the day. And these are all measurable factors of the human body. But the Word of God says something different. It says it's not a blink. It says twinkle. You see, a twinkle is the expected amount of time that it takes for light to refract in the human eye. From a perspective of quantum physics, that's known as a planet of time, and it's digitally can be measured at 0.10 to the negative 43rd power. 
In other words, do you know how fast that is? Yeah, 0 0.10 to the negative 43rd of a power. That's how fast that is. And so when the Bible says that that, that, that catching away of the bride of Christ is going to happen in a twinkling of an eye, it's going to happen so fast, guys, that you, I mean, it's just going to happen. There you go. We're here and we're gone, okay? The only thing that's going to be left in here is going to be clothes and our blood doesn't go either. I know that's not a pretty picture, but the blood stays and our clothes stay. And if you've got gold teeth, they're staying too. i got two of them. They're going to stay right here, okay? I'm getting new ones. But with all that said, none of us know the time, the date, or the hour where either the Lord is going to take us home or he's going to come and take his bride away. This is a great unknown. Yet we do know it's going to happen. We do know that people are going to pass away. It's life. We do know that Christ is coming back. And it's no different, guys, when we, when we look at what we should do in the world that we live in today. We know this. Even if we live to be 80, 90, 100 years old, it's still considered a short period of time. We have a short period of time in our life to accomplish something for Jesus Christ. I, I, do, I do liken it. And, again, you guys got to forgive me for any kind of all the sports. This time of year, most of my illustrations are going to be around sports because that's just the way my body is. I played ball for 19 years. And so when the front end of August comes, my body gets this little itch, and I start in the back of my mind, I smell, I smell a, a dry dirt from the earth because it's August, and, you know, and I, I, we ain't got nothing dry out here. But in my brain, amen, that's what I smell because it's that time of year when you go back to, to camp and you start football practice and things like that. But it's no different than the off-season for, say, football, basketball, baseball, rugby, um, soccer, base, whatever it may be. For every day that these athletes do not work out and their opponent does, it's lost in trying to get better forever. You don't get it back. And our life is the very same thing. Our life is identical to that. Every second, every moment, every minute, every day that we do not live for him and attempting to deal with what we have to in this life and to make this world a better place, not a better place to live and die and go to hell for him, but a better place to be transported out of here to go to heaven. Guys, we lose that moment forever. James said our life is but a vapor. And guys, you know, we know when the cool weather rolls in and, and uh, we're, we're speaking and we're breathing and you can see uh, your, your, your breath outside and it comes out and then it quickly disappears. Our life is compared to that here today and it's gone tomorrow. So on this thought, I want to go to one verse this evening in the book of Acts. I want to show you something. I want to take something out of the life of Paul. And I want to show you three things this evening that I believe we have a short period of time in this world today to deal with. A short time and opportunity to focus on immeasurable factors, I, I believe, in all of my heart. It's a short time to do something meaningful. Something that will last. A short time to invest in heaven's future. Acts in chapter 20 and in verse 1, this is what we find. The Bible says in verse 1, it says there, it says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. Now, we're all aware of the Apostle Paul's ministry. I taught on the life of Paul for five years, four months, and eight days in our first church. I taught on it for a year and, and almost two years here in our second church, in our church up in the Cunning Valley. 
Uh, all of those, it, it's online if you ever want to grab a hold of it. It is a lengthy and detailed study of the life of Paul. You say, why in the world did you invest those many years in the life of Paul? Why, why would it, that was my doctoral thesis. Why did I do that? Because Paul's life interprets the New Testament. Paul's, when you study Paul's life, you begin to see and un, it unveils and it unfolds the life of the New Testament. And we can see and understand greater things much, much clearer. The first thing I want us to see here from Acts chapter 20 and verse 1 is that we have but a short time to work through difficulties in our life. Notice that it says there, after the uproar was ceased. What uproar? Paul spent three years in Ephesus, okay? A great effectual door was opened unto him there in that ministry, and it flourished greatly. I mean, souls were saved, families were put back in order, preachers were trained and sent out, and they planted churches all over the area, uh, churches that some were, uh, continued to grow and grow, and then they sent out, and they sent out. And I mean, the Word of God went out throughout the entire world, much of which what Paul had done and the work that he, uh, he committed to there in Ephesus. Souls are, were just, lives were changed forever by what he had there and what he did. The eternal role was multiplied. By what happened in Ephesus. This was an area, guys, where people used curious arts. They repented of all of their witchcraft and all of their idolatry, but they didn't just repent. They exercised uh, this repentance by faith, and they showed their deeds. That's something that I want us to think about here. We have difficulties in our life. And we have a short time to deal with those difficulties, and we should. But we cannot deal with difficulties if we don't show the deeds of what we used to do by getting them out of our life. Notice this in Acts 19. The Bible says, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds, many of them also which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Do you notice that last part there? So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I wonder how many of us, how many of us have burned it? Now, guys, I don't want to go through a list of sin here. But, guys, if you have something that is holding you back in your life, something that you used to do way back when or yesterday or, or this morning or whatever it is, and you say, well, you know what, I'm just going to tuck it away. I'm, not, I'm just not going to go there anymore. No, you're not. Get rid of it, man. If, if you've got a problem with drink, pour it down the drain and throw it away. If you've got a problem with porn, cut the cord. Okay? You say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Yeah, if you've got a problem with the Internet, don't go on the Internet. Oh, but preacher, not today. It's 2023. Let me tell you something. Pornography will destroy you and everything that it comes in contact with. It literally changed the physiology of your own brain, guys. Your brain chemistry neurologically is changed because of that vile filth. And before everybody thinks that I'm preaching to the men, did you know there's a 16% uptake just in the last 12 months of women being addicted to pornography today? There's been more families destroyed by the creation of Facebook and pornography and all of these things that are on there because now they got an access and a back channel to see and look at things that people used to hide behind the, the, the liquor store, if you will, or the back alleys to see it. Listen, set the thing on fire. Now, before all this issue was there, I was dealing with a family one time. This goes back 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. 
And they said, preacher, I think I've told you this story. I'll hurry it up. They said, they said preacher, they said, uh, uh, we just can't get him to quit watching telly when we're not there. They homeschooled the boy because he got kicked out of school. And it wasn't even their son. It was actually their, their, their brother. The parents had died. And uh, so they said, we just don't know what to do. I said, is there a problem with him watching TV? Yeah. What should we do? We've taken the remotes. He figures out to turn it on. We've done this. We've done that. I said, you got a pair of scissors? They, well, yeah. I said, then cut the cord. What do you mean cut the cord? Cut the cord. If you mean business, you cut the cord, man. These people in Ephesus, they meant business. You know what they did? They didn't take their little curious arts and box them up and say, well, maybe I'll just sell them on Vincent or eBay. They didn't say, hey, I'm going to tuck them over here. I may just want to come back and play around with them here. They set those things on fire. And there's something about fire, guys, that is an end to everything. We know that it, it burnt, it's a cleansing agent, number one. But number two, you ain't putting those things back together. Do you understand? You know what? One of the battle tactics, I love Roman history. And it kills me that I love Roman history because, man, they were vile. They were bad people. There was nothing good about them. Nothing good has come out of Rome other than the gospel that came when Paul brought it there, amen. And matter of fact, it came back here to Wales because of what Paul preached, amen. <laughs> but one of their battle tactics when they conquered the world is when they rolled up on a country in their ships, they got into their little bitty boats and they all rode to the sea. And you know what the last man did? He shot a flaming arrow in that boat. <laughs> Up in smoke, the ship went. And the people looked, and they saw the ships on fire and the soldiers rolling in. And do you know what they, they understood right then and there? We're here to stay. Rome was there to stay. That's how they conquered their people. You see, my friend, there's a way in our life. And the reason that you find that these people showed their deeds and their repentance away from witchcraft and idolatry is they set them on, they said, flame on. We're done with it. Throughout all of this, guys, those who believe not, throughout of all of this going on, mighty, one of the greatest revivals that ever broke out in, in Paul's ministry. Actually, let me back up. It wasn't revival. Revival is, a, is reviving something that was alive. These people were dead in trespass and sin, as Paul says in the letter to, to the Ephesians. The greatest evangelistic outreach in Paul's ministry was there at Ephesus. And yet there were still people who denied Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They saw that when these pagans had turned away from idolatry and turned away from uh, the witchcraft and turned away from all this and that, that their fortune because of the pagan artifacts was lost. The arms of bondage was cut loose. Those who did not believe in Christ were upset and angry with Paul. And therefore the, the uproar happened. Three years Paul was there. The riot was against God. Keep in mind, guys, when the difficulties come into your life because you're trying to stake a, take a stand for Christ, it's not really personal against you. We can take it personal. And I, I, I'm, I'm guilty like that at times. My blood will start to boil at times, and i got to take a step back and say, well, you know, this is really not about me. Actually, most of everything and anything is not about me. It's all about him. So the attack here was on God. That Paul and other ones were going to be the recipients of that attack. So the uproar and this riot that happened, uh, guys, uh, the, the riot happened because of the change in people's life. And when they can't reach God, they're going to go after you. And so an uproar occurred. And, and, and throughout all of this, Paul remained faithful. Seasons changed and lives were altered. 
But the Lord will always remain faithful. One of our songs tonight, or I'm sorry, our opening uh, uh, statement that I commented about, our opening church video, that his faithfulness to all generations. Let me say this to you. You have difficulties in your life. You have problems. You have situations. Every one of us do. It's called life. But you only got a short period of time to work through those difficulties. You don't have to live underneath them. I know much of that was the topic yesterday, that we're more than conquerors, that we have the victory. Guys, you don't have to live underneath the difficulties of and the uproar of this life constantly. But you got a short period of time to deal with them. Secondly, guys, we have a short time to work with the disciples. This is something that is precious to me, very precious to me. I, uh, Paul says here that this is after the uproar had ceased and they dealt with the difficulties. What did he do? Rather than leaving and running off before he departed, he called the disciples together. There's two men out hiking one time, and, and uh, all of a sudden a big grizz, grizzly bear came, across, uh, came out of nowhere. One guy sat down and started putting his running shoes on. The other dude said, what in the world are you doing, man? we got to get out of here. He goes, I'm putting my running shoes on. He goes, he goes I, I want to try to outrun that bear. He says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you, okay? <laughs> that's, not a, that's not the disciples that you want to be around that are thinking about themselves. Paul called the disciples together. Paul called them together because there was an issue that had happened. Friend, we, we, we all enjoy fellowship one with another. I love our monthly fellowships. I, I especially love it when it's Mexican food, and uh, as you guys know that already. But, but if you have 80 years of fellowship and 80 years of laboring for Christ with one another, man, it is still a short period of time to do it together. Working with the disciples, there, there's no replacement of working with disciples, of working with one another, of having a Christian fellowship one with another. And in this life that we're just passing through, guys, we have a short period of time to work together, to labor together, to feed off one another's energy, to, to be encouraged by one another. But I'll say this to you tonight. In order to work with the disciples, you're going to have to first be a disciple. Our Christian life is what determines that discipleship. A disciple, remember, means a, a student or a pupil. There's a story about a young man one time who was eager to grow in his Christian life, and, and he got a piece of paper, and he began to write, man, he made, began to make a list of things that he was going to give up for the Lord and give up to the Lord. And, and, and you know, he, 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 he would place this, and he would go to the minister of his church, and, and he, he would give it to him, and, uh, and he would he would write down the areas of ministry that he wanted to work and that he would enter, and he was all excited. And he would go down to the church, and he would lay it down on the altar, and he begin to pray, and he'd pray over this list and pray over what he was going to do and pray over what he was not going to do. And then he would get up, and he was waiting for that, that burst of joy to fill him up. And yet there was no joy. He would take the paper, and he'd wad it up and throw it away, go back to his, his, his little office or his home, and he would start writing another list. And he would list all these things. I'm going to give more up. I'm going to do more. I'm going to go into more ministry. I'm going to study more. I'm going to do all these things, and I'm going to quit doing all those things. And he brings it out of the altar, and he'd lay it down there, and he'd pray. No joy. He did it a third time. Dude's writing a book almost. Same result. So finally he goes to the preacher. He goes to the pastor. He goes, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've done X, Y, Z, and I, th this is what I have done thus far, and man, there's just no joy. Pastor, what am I doing wrong? And that old pastor told him, he told him, he said, I want you to take a blank sheet of paper. I want you to sign your name on the bottom and go put that on the altar. And when he did that, there was peace that came to that young man's heart. 
I remember the day, I remember exactly what I was wearing, the Sunday night that I surrendered to the call to preach. I was the most unlikely person in your entire life that you'd ever imagine that would surrender to the preaching of the gospel. My old teammates, some of them who, they, one, a couple of them live in England, and I've met with them over the past decade or so. And I had one, of, one boy, a big old boy, he was six foot seven when we, we recruited him. Six foot seven, 375 pounds. Huge boy. Big ginger haircut. Tony. We met over in, in, in Bristol at Cribs Causeway several years back, probably a good 10 years now, and met with all my preacher friends and Tony. And Tony just sat at the table and he just looked confounded. You know, and I said, Bud, you okay? Everything all right over there? He goes, I just can't get over this. I can't get over you and a table of preachers, and I just don't understand, man. And I said, well, let me share it with you. <laughs> I remember the night I, I surrendered. It was to the, if you're standing at the pulpit, I was on the left side coming up to the altar. I was on the right. And my exact words when I surrendered was simply this. Lord, I, I, I will surrender to preach your gospel in whatever venue you direct me to. Whatever you call me to do, I'll do it. Never in my life did I imagine I would be in, a, in another nation uh, or be a pastor or any of those things. I just was willing to preach where and when he wanted me to do so and how he wanted me to do it. So I understand how this story goes about just signing the bottom line. That's what it means to be a disciple. We don't come to the Lord and give him a description of what we're willing to do because he may call you to do something that you are incredibly uncomfortable in doing. I'm a good example of that. Never in my life would I have stood in front of a, and, and give public speeches back in the day. God has a funny way of taking someone who, in mankind's eyes, is not qualified. In mankind's eyes, just ain't going to be able to cut it. And say, you're going to do this work for me. Guys, we have a short time in this life. We're just passing through this life to work together one with another. Work together. And a single cause. We have a campaign going on, the Who's Your One campaign. And I know it's, it's easy to get, you know, the uptake and it's easy to get excited when it begins. And then all of a sudden we begin to kind of forget about it. And I try to remind you every single Sunday night, don't forget your Who's Your One, Who's Your One, Who's Your One. You need to be politely persistent. You need to be on the phone. You need to be praying for them. You need to send them notes and emails. You need to tell, they need to tell you, go away. That's what it needs to seem like. We have a short period to work together as disciples. Guys, we have a short period in this world today. This is where it all comes down to, to make a difference. An uproar had just blown out in Ephesus. Big old uproar. Now, to the average human being, I think somebody would have said, look, I'm getting out of Dodge. I'm going to that next town now. Let's get to Macedonia as quick as we can. Paul didn't do that. He, calls his, he called his disciples together, and you know what he did? The Bible says that he embraced them. He embraced them. That's not a fist bump, a high-five handshake. He hugged their neck. He probably kissed their neck, hugged them, and kissed their neck. Ladies and gentlemen, guys, we need to make sure people know that you love them. I know I'm telling more stories than I should tonight, but there's a former NFL ball player by the name of Bull Bramlett, John Bull Bramlett. Dr. Adrian Rogers, who was one of my heroes in the faith, 
He said Bull Bramlett was the meanest man in Memphis. And, and I had him come in and preach for me one time, give his testimony, and he'd have a, about a seven-minute highlight reel of where showing when he played football way back in the, the, a long time ago in the 70s before most of you guys were born. And uh, he said, I gave that guy six yards and a headache, and it was all great. I loved it. I was eating it up. I brought my team that I was coaching at the time in, and we had a wonderful day. I'm going to try to tell this story without choking up tonight, but John was mean. When I mean mean, guys, you don't even know me. Think of the meanest rugby player you've ever known in your life, times it by 10, and keep going, all right? And, uh, and those of you who thought about Chris Jones right now, stop, okay? Okay. <laughs> He's a nice guy, Dave. John Bramlett lived a rough life in Memphis. He lived on the other side of Memphis. Memphis is a rough, rough city. Came up, played ball. I won't tell you a whole story, but he got married. And uh, his wife started going to a church. She went down to it. She, she went down to a revival meeting. And she started going to this church. And the next year, she'd been witnessing to him all the time. The next year, you know, the revival meeting came on again, and she begged John to go with her. And he went. Now, he sat in the back pew, arms crossed like this right here, listened to the preacher. As soon as it was over with, went out the door. Throughout that 12-month period of time, John was living a rough life, hard life, in his business, growing. His wife would leave notes in his gym bag. She'd leave it on his car when he was at the bar. She would write it in the on the mirror in the steam. So when he got out of the shower, he'd write these things that, Jesus loves you, but he's going to get you. Jesus really, really loves you, John, but he's really, really going to get you. And she'd leave those notes for 12 months. And finally, one time, after that revival meeting that John Bramlett went to, church came together for the Thursday night visitation. And all these names are in a hat. And this boy reached down, and he grabbed this note out of the hat, this name, and he looked, and it said, John Bramlett. And he went, <sighs> he goes over to this other deacon, and he says, will you go see John Bramlett with me? I'm going to clean this up a little bit. Will you go see John Bramlett with me? He goes, man, I'll go see you, but he's going he's gonna to beat us up. I'm going to tell you that right now. He actually said he's, he's going to beat the H-E-double-L out of us is what he said. That's just his reputation, guys. The key is they went anyway. And they sat there and they talked. When they knocked that door, his wife answered. John started hiding alcohol, beer cans around curtains and all this and that. And they sat there and they talked to him and they just could not seemingly get through to him. When they got up to leave and, and one piece, they were thankful of that. He said, why did you guys come over here to see me? Why, why, why come spend your Thursday night coming to see me? They said, John... We'll tell you the truth. The reason we come to see you is because we love you. And this big burl of a bull of a man broke. He said, that's the first time a man's ever told me that I lo he loved me. Dads have got to let their children know they love them. People in our life, guys, they, they've got to know that we love them. I have no problem whatsoever in telling, uh, well, definitely my, my family. Rob and I do it all the time. Friends of mine do it all the time. I get off the phone with my friend Ron when we talk. Hey, love you, bro. 
friend of mine, Philip, love you, bro. And I mean, people need to know that you love them. Paul was departing. He didn't know if he was going to see these disciples ever again in his entire life. And so what did he do? He embraces them. They just went through a difficulty. These disciples and Paul, they went through this difficulty. So what does he do? He's making a difference, guys. Robert Moffat said, I have seen a, at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. Imagine the difference that we can make in a person's life when we invest in their soul for eternity. But we have a short time to do it. Leonard Ravenhill said that today's Christians, and he's speaking about 60 years ago, today's Christians spend more money on dog food than they do missions, and that's probably true. Guys, if I can leave you with any thought tonight to ponder, to dwell on, to think about over the next hours, the next days, the next weeks, I want you to think of the urgency of the task at hand. We're all, for all practical purposes, guys, we're just passing through this life. Our life is but a vapor here. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. My daddy always said, you're not promising. He goes, tomorrow never comes. Paul said, and knowing that, and, know, and, and that, knowing the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Beloved, it is human nature to assume that tomorrow will come. The next time, as promised, another opportunity will arise. But it simply isn't true. I don't know how many times, man, the Lord's laid somebody on my heart. And I've sent them a message and say, look, just want to let you know I love you and I'm praying for you. That simple. Or pick up the phone and call them. And they've come back and they've said, man, you have no idea what I was going through at that time. I needed that text message. I needed that phone call. On the flip side of that, there's been many times where I said, I need to call so-and-so. I'll, I'll get it done tomorrow. I, I need to call so-and-so. I'll get it done tomorrow. I, I, I need to call this person. I need, I need to make that phone. I need to FaceTime them. I'll get it done tomorrow. And all of a sudden, I get a message. They've passed away. We're not promised tomorrow, guys. We're not promised another opportunity, but it, it, it simply just isn't there. And, but if the Lord will, it will happen. <clears throat> Today's the day of salvation. We are in the days that men have been preaching about and praying about for millennia. We are in those final days. What I want to encourage you tonight is to cherish the moment of the day that Christ has given you. And understand that it is a short time that we are just passing through, but it is a gift that has been given from God. Time that has been gifted from our Lord. So I challenge you to labor to thrive in this life that we've been given. Not just survive. Not just wake up every moment, every morning and go, just got to get through this day. No, sir. Roll out of that bed at whatever time you do and say, here we go. Let's go. Let me charge hell with a squirt gun. That's exactly how we ought to act in our life. Because it is a gift, and it's not promised the very next day. We are simply just passing through. Will you bow your heads this evening? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together. I pray, Lord, that you take this message, lay it upon our hearts, and help us understand not only the urgency that we have in the short period of time that we've been given on this earth this evening, but, Father, at the same time, to make a difference, Father, to work with the disciples to get through our difficulties, dear Lord, to give you praise, honor, and glory. Help us, Lord, Father, I pray. Have compassion on those that are around us, making a difference in their life, changing their life. Father, help us this evening. Father, see the value of a soul. 
in the short time that we've been given, this life that you have gifted that is but a vapor. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. I hope and pray that preaching teaches a blessing to your heart this evening, and I hope that it is an encouragement during the days and the hours and the weeks to come. Did you realize that I had skipped one of my verses from Jude 22 when I was in the midst of that phrase? Amen. All right, so that should bring to a close.